Let's pray to him. Oh, Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning together here and to worship you. Um, we're reminded of Revelation 5, where the four creatures and the 24 elders bowed before you and held bowls of incense that are the prayers of the saints. We are your saints, Lord. Uh, we cry, worthy is the lamb. Uh, we are your redeemed. They sang a new song. And we sing the new song of the redeemed. That is your favorite song of all, the song of the redeemed. Uh, your word says so. So, Lord, as we pray to you this morning, as we lift up our song to you, as we hear your mighty word spoken, uh, let us be all attentive. Um, let us give it all to you and leave nothing on the table for you, Lord. We love you and we praise you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Uh, you'll be hearing from uh, our, our elders now uh, as opening prayer. You'll get to be able to know them a little bit, know their heart as you uh, uh, lead us in prayer. And so that's going to be a neat uh, 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 addition to this year. Uh, let me remind you about the uh, connection card. I don't have one on me, but I think most of you know. If you're by a visitor that needs to find one, help them, please. I don't have one on me. Uh, but uh, be sure and fill that out, and you can put that in the offering plate later, or you can take that out to the Connection Center, and they'll help you out there uh, with more information about the church. As always, there's uh, prayer cards, and we want to know about those prayer requests, and we'll be faithful to pray for those. So please turn those into the uh, offering plate as well. All right? Uh, this is a great song that came to us from Getty Music. They've been producing some wonderful music over the last 25 years, starting with In Christ Alone, you know that one. And this is a great, great text. My worth is not in what I have, not in what I own.
God, as we uh, take the offering today, Lord, we just pray that we would uh, give in such a way that would honor and bless your great name, that would further your kingdom, and we thank you for this privilege. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Oh. 
before the message today, I want to introduce you to a new song. I think we've sang it maybe once or twice, but it'll be somewhat not familiar to you. As is our custom, uh, the pastor and I will talk early in the week, and I'll, I'll say, what are some of the major themes we're going to be digging into? And, and he, he used the word persevere. And so as what I do is I'll, I'll go to some of my favorite Christian song search engines and, and some of the uh, songs we normally do on a regular basis, and I'll say, where, where does that theme persevere come in? And um, so I made a mistake, and I just I didn't, I didn't go to the regular search engine. I just typed it into Google. And so it came up with songs about how to persevere. And one of the top ones was a 1970s song. Maybe you've heard of the group. They struggled a bit, but they, they did all right. Uh, they, uh, they had a writer. His name was Paul McCartney. And they, they, they wrote a song, uh, Let It Be. And, and that's a great song of perseverance, they say. And, and so it says this, When I find myself in times of trouble... Mother Mary comes to me. Now, thank you, Chuck, our resident church uh, or uh, uh, music historian, told me that uh, that was mistakenly understood as the, the Roman Catholic Mother Mary. Paul McCartney's uh, mom was Mary, okay? So it could, it could be either way. But either way, it's, it's either at best or at worst, it's heresy. At, 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 at best, it's just pop culture. Right, we we've got a we've got a better source in times of trouble, right? And that's what this song is based on. And I think it's also based on a little bit of uh, uh, the old song of uh, the Solid Rock. And uh, and you'll hear a little bit more about that from from the pastor. But let's let's sing this great song. Firm foundation. Has he ever failed? No, he hasn't, and he won't.
heads before the Lord and recount those moments where trouble came, the winds blew, and how our God always proved faithful. Give him thanks for that. guide us in studying and understanding and applying your word today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Let's give our attention to the word of the Lord this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Hebrews 3. Verse 1, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. 
For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Dr. Earl Rodmacher was a distinguished seminary professor and seminary president, as well as an author and a preacher. He's been with the Lord for, I guess, about the last 10 years, and he got his education. Well, he trusted Christ early on as a kid, and then at a Billy Graham crusade in Oregon many, many years ago, he surrendered to preach the gospel, and he asked those that he was accustomed to and friends, what should he do? And they said, you need to go to school. So he went to South Carolina, of all places. And he went to Bob Jones University, and then he went to DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary. And while he was in the South, he pastored a little church, and he tells the story of a deacon named Bill that was standing out in front of the church, and they were getting ready to enter the church for the service. And at that moment... Bill, Deacon Bill, fired up a cigarette. Preacher Rodmacher said, Bill, the church service is about to start. Why don't you just come on in? And Bill said, well, let me finish my cigarette first, Earl. Dr. Rodmacher said, well, just bring it on into the church, Bill. Deacon Bill shot back, I can't bring this thing into the house of God. To which Dr. Rodmacher responded, Bill, the way I read my Bible, you've got that thing hanging out of the house. Of God. Do preachers have that much? <laughs> so would we do that outside the church? Well, here's the deal. The Bible teaches that we, as believers, Christians, individually and corporately, are the house of God. Individually and corporately. We are the house of God. So today, it would have been very easy for me today to skip over and start in verse 7 and move toward to the wilderness wanderings and their unbelief as the writer of Hebrews builds that thematic structure. However, I felt, it, I felt we needed to hear, once again, the total understanding of verse 6 because at the end, last week I had to hurriedly uh, talk about boldness, talk about hope. Uh, I want you to think about that once again this morning with the sermon title, We Are His House If. We Are His House If. So, do you cherish the privileges of being in the house of God or being the house of God? Do you cherish with your affections, what it means to be the house of God. So I hope you remember the context. We're called by God with an imperative command in verse 1 to consider Jesus. 
And then the author is going to extol Christ as our great high priest and apostle. Like unto the Old Testament great high priest and apostle. Who was who? Moses. Who does not compare to the Lord Jesus. Why? Because in his person he is God. And in his work he procured your salvation. Moses is a servant in the house. Christ is the Lord of glory, the builder, the maker, God himself, who made the house. This is what we get to in the second half of verse 6. If you are in his house, you are called by God to be faithful to him. Why? You are called by God to hold fast to him. Why? Because he is faithful. He is your faithful high priest. William Lane says... The truth that the writer of Hebrews gives us here is pastoral and it's an apologetic response to confusion in a dispirited church, congregation. And it's going to be the beginning of a sustained effort to persuade hearers to remain loyal to Christ in the presence of pressures that could encourage you to abandon the faith. Is this not a common occurrence today? In 2024, the abandoning, the defecting away from the faith. So the last half of verse 6 is the application of the truth. Perhaps you've heard that many times the Bible gives us the what and then the so what. It gives you an indicative and then it asks or gives an application. So the indicative is we are his house. That's the fact. If you're in Christ. The application is you will hold fast to Christ if you are his house. So let's unpack this this morning. I've done so by giving you two sentences for divisions in verse 6. The first one is this. It's a declaration. We are his house. So we hear this. And I hope you hear this this morning that we are his house. And then we're going to talk about we will hold on to our confession. What does it mean? I told you earlier that once the writer introduces the word house, Moses also was faithful in all God's house. It's a turning point for the book of Hebrews. And then again, he's going to flesh out in these verses concerning who's the owner and the ruler of the house. And so this declaration is made. So the question is, We are his house. Well, what does that mean? Who's in his house? Who is it referring to? Well, certainly all believers. You would make up his house, including Moses. And furthermore, all Old Testament saints. We could say all the saints that are in heaven and on earth would make up his house. All who have the Spirit of God dwelling in them, they are God's house. Paul will say this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So therefore glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. So the house of God or the house of Christ are those who have faith in Christ and those who have the Spirit of Christ within them. They are also those Who are in the family of God. You remember the song? I'm so glad. I'm a part. You gray heads know that song. 
you not so gray heads probably have never heard of it. So glad I'm a part of the family of God. So John, 1 John, uh, excuse me, John 1, Gospel of John, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So the house is not a physical structure. The house of God is a family. Christ's house is made up of those who are, by grace through faith, brought into his family. Christ's house is also the covenant people of God. There's a lot that is said in the book of Hebrews about the Old Testament covenant or the Old Covenant. What was the declaration? The quintessential declaration of the Old Covenant was what? Do you know? I will be your God and you will be my people. This is a covenant declaration that runs throughout the totality of the Old and the New Testament. Paul will speak to the church of Corinth and he will say that God is our God and we are his people. Where did he get this from? He got it from Leviticus 26.12. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. And Paul takes that and applies it to the saints in Corinth. So in this present age, we are the people of God. God, he is ours and we are his. We are the people of God. So every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper... We are celebrating that fact that we are in a covenant relationship with our God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are His covenant people. Galatians 6.10, Paul will tell us, do good to everyone and especially to the household of faith. So these are the people who share a common faith together, the house of God. We are the house of God. They share a common fate together in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are part of the household, one household altogether. I hope you get that from the scripture. God, through his spirit, dwells in us individually and corporately. As a matter of fact, if you track through the New Testament and look at the Greek, when you see we are the body of Christ, you sometimes is used, sometimes it's plural, in the south, we'd say y'all, right? And sometimes it's singular. What does that mean? It means that you individually are the house of God and we are corporately the house of God. Listen to how Paul explains this. I know you guys are not too familiar with this book, but over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, listen to this, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. So when God saved you, when he opened your eyes and understanding to the truthfulness and the beauty of Christ, when, when God gave you a new heart and then you responded in faith, Something happened, and that something that happened is far greater than anything we could have ever imagined. We have been joined together in the Lord Jesus Christ so that when we believe in him, we are in union with Christ. That's what it means. 
to be the house of God. We are His and He is ours. Is there something to be said as well about our union with other believers? So vertically, you're in union with Christ, but you're horizontally in union with one another. I've always loved loves Ruth. I've always loved Ruth's response to Naomi. And it's about the true people of God. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Now, I fear that we have individualized the gospel so much and individualized Christianity so much that we've lost the sense of the corporate nature of the church. It would behoove us to go back and read the Puritans. It would behoove us to go back and think about songs like, I love thy church, O God. It would, it would behoove us to think about the nature of the church. When one becomes a Christian, it's not only that you have, have your sins forgiven. And believe me, that's the crown jewel of the gospel, right? And not only are you called by God in salvation to live for Jesus, and that relationship is unbelievable. We're blessed beyond measure to be forgiven of our sins and to be able to say that Jesus Christ is mine. Yet there is something more. You're being built together. You're being fitted together with other believers into a spiritual house. Listen to Peter's description of this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves... Like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there is a sense where we can call this place a place of worship. The structural building, right? Because we join together to worship the Lord in this place corporately. Yet, hear me this morning, the real house of worship. Is where the praise takes place, and it's not in a building. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. It's in your affections when we worship the Lord. So as we came together today, we joined together. You individually are living stones corporately together in a household of God. The temple of our God, the house of our God, is where that praise is lifted up to our God. And that's you, where the Spirit of God dwells. So to belonging to this house... We have awesome privileges, don't we? We have a high priest that's over the house of God. Lest you think he's going to forget about this theme, listen to chapter 10, verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he's not going to move away from this theme. He's going to remind us of it over and over again. You have a high priest who has made a sacrifice for you. You've got a high priest who intercedes for you. You have a high priest over the house, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a heavenly father who is too wise ever to be mistaken and too good to be unkind. That's that's who you have. And if you're in the house, then you also have the forgiveness of sins. Is the writer going to think about this? You better believe it. Chapter 10, verse 17. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. In the south, we would call that shouting ground. And then verse 18. Where there is the forgiveness of these, there is no longer any need for an offering for sins. Hallelujah. The Bible would tell you in chapter 2, verse 17 of the book of Hebrews, 
that he has made propitiation for our sins. He not only covered your sin, when I see the blood I will pass over, he actually propitiated the wrath of God against you because of sin. So as we assemble here today as living stones, we not only offer up praise, which is worthy of the God that we belong to, we also have to say that we've been declared righteous. We've been given a word of forgiveness of sins. When we, when we sin by forsaking the assembling together, I want to remind you of something. This is how serious it is. You become more vulnerable to sins. And we don't think about this. And the lies of the enemy and the slander of the devil who will say to you, you're not forgiven, you're still guilty, and you're not in the house of God. Is this not, does this happen? You better believe it. You're way safer coming to this place than staying away from it. Because you're not hearing. This building doesn't save you. The people of God do not save you. Jesus saves. However, the church is vital for you. As we come into this place, what happens? Folks, it's the benefit of hearing from God's holy word over and over that you are in Christ. And you need to hear that over and over and over that you are in Christ. It's coming into this building that you hear from God's word that you are forgiven of sins. That his blood availed for you. That it can make the foulest clean. I'm there. And you may think you're super spiritual, but you're pretty foul yourself. And he made you clean. He washed you. His blood availed for you. So if you are in his house and you gather with the people of God, we're also mindful of the Father's protection who is sovereign over all and our great high priest who upholds us according to what the Bible says. Unless you haven't figured this out, the world we live in is a spiritually dangerous place. Do you realize this? There's safety and security within the house of God. This is why Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians 5, he would give us these words about putting someone out of the church family. It's called excommunication. Here's what he says. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, to put someone outside the protective covering of the house of God is effectively to turn him or her over to the devil. So it's no small thing to be under the Father's heavenly protection and our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, when we consider what it means to be the household of God. That's an important thing. There's another privilege. It's that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Y'all getting this about the house of God? It's pretty important, isn't it? The other day I thought to myself, I need a break. I'm tired. We, we had a lot of family life going on at FBCO. We're, we spent time, uh, three and four hours, sometimes at night, sometimes even twice a week, talking about elders and serving. And we've been reading and we've been trying our best to obey what the word of the Lord says. And I thought to myself, I'm kind of tired. And then I thought to myself, well, the business is family business. It wasn't burdensome. It's part of being the family of God. Are you all with me? Are you listening? It's not stuff that we're wasting time on. This is family business because we're a church. We share life together. 
at one end, we have babies born all the time, and then they grow up and we're doing weddings, and then we're doing funerals. It's family business. It's not burdensome at all. When our people marry, we share in that joy. When our brothers and sisters pass on out of this life into eternal, the eternal home in heaven, we gather to grieve with family. We celebrate home goings. So whether it's fun things or, or sad things or happy things, we serve and share life together under the word. We are admonished in the word of God to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. So we share life together and that is what it means to be the household of God. When you come into this building corporately, you're in the best place in all the world to receive mercy and grace from the Lord. When we come together as the Lord's assemble people, it's the ordinary and usual place where the Lord meets his people corporately to strengthen us, to give us mercy in our time of need. And you say, well, I balk on that, Pastor. I think that God meets me when I do my devotions. And he certainly does. He certainly gives you mercy and grace in your own study time. Yet as a normal routine, the Lord meets with us and provides mercy and grace and strength in the gathering of his people. If you don't believe that, just hold on to Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Where we're called to exhort one another. Equip one another. As much the more you see the day approaching. Don't abandon the house, not the building, but the people of God. So, don't do that because you take yourself outside the ordinary, normal means. Where God blesses you, meets with you, and keeps you. In this place, you are fed the Word of God. You're watered by the Word. You are encouraged. You are exhorted, comforted, corrected. As we gather together, His praise is made known. Right? As a church. So as we gather together, His fullness fills our hearts. We lift our voices to sing praises to the excellencies of His name who took us out of darkness and brought us into life. So this was a mere snapshot. Of what it means to be the house of God. I hope that the snapshot gives you an understanding of the privileges and the benefits that you have in being the people of God. Philip, Richard Phillips summarizes those privileges with these words. Listen close. There is therefore no greater privilege than membership in the church. There's no greater calling than Christian, the Christian calling... To offer his or her gifts, talents, time, and money to the work of the church. A Christian who gives all his energy to his job, all of her talents only for personal gains, or spends all his or her money on himself or herself, neglecting the work of the church, which, which will last forever, is simply a fool. Such a person does not realize that the church is the body. The temple, the bride of the exalted Christ who even now reigns on high and will soon come to rule on earth forever. In the end, it is what Christ is doing to the church that will matter most. It will shine in glory and will have been, the off and will have been worth the offering of our lives. Therefore, a Christian that is not involved in the ministry of the church, who does not pray regularly for the church's work, who is, taking, who is taking but never giving to the church, should ask himself or herself if they really understand what it is or what the life of the church is all about. 
and if he or she is really living for eternity. There's the declaration. We are his house. All right, you ready for the application? That's the what. We are his house. Now, so what? You Baptists are going to get nervous on this one. And we are his house if, indeed, there are two coordinated conjunctions. It can be ain, if, and it can be ain, pair. Now, I know that doesn't mean a whole lot to you unless you're looking at the Greek text, but it is minorly important, but it doesn't shift the meaning of this particular conditional clause. All right? I'll explain that in a moment. But when we see the word if, that causes some of us to go into theological convulsions. We're okay with we are his people, but if you throw that if in there, we begin to, for lack of a better way of saying it, we begin to develop a theological rash. We're not comfortable with if, right? Well, here's what I will tell you from last week. I don't believe at all that this is a cause and effect conditional clause. It is actually an inference that is made with evidence. The inference is we are the people of God. And the evidence is if you're the people of God, you will endure. You will hold fast. And Christ will hold you fast. Because he is able to save those to the uttermost, chapter 7, verse 25, who he brings to himself. Which means totally and completely. Aren't you glad that you're saved to the uttermost? However, it is a conditional clause. Let's be clear. It's a third class conditional clause. It's clear you are his people, we are his people, if we hold fast. So putting this together... I want you to think that normally if we say we are his house, if we automatically begin to run to how did I get into the house. Now, I guarantee you some of you thought about that as I said, if we are his house. Your mind raced back to 75 years ago or 25 years ago when you made a profession of faith. The first thing you think of when you hear the word if is you run back to the, to the issue, am I in the house? <laughs> Let's make it clearer. Did I legitimately come through the front door? Better yet, for most Armenians, did I actually turn the knob to get inside of the house? Did I keep my hand on the knob? I remember, I, preacher, I remember turning the knob. I actually remember even dusting off my feet on the threshold. Before I stepped into the house. And that's often the way people deal with it. Are y'all listening to me? This is important. Because this is telling you if you're in his house or not. So you better listen. Alright? Focus on the text. Did I actually wipe off my feet when I walked through the door? Folks, hear me. This is not what the writer of Hebrews is going after. This is not what he's wanting you to do. He doesn't say we are his house if we legitimately came through the door in the right way or the right mode. Now is that important? You better believe it because it's only through Christ that you can enter in. He's the door of the sheepfold. But, I, but I'm trying to get you to say, see, that he's not wanting you to race back to January whatever, uh, what's today, 28th, 1980 and search really hard and microscopically try to observe the unobservable and to fathom the unfathomable, and scrutinize the inscrutinable. 
see if you're really real. The author does not take us down that road. He's going to tell us how we know that we're in the house, and it's not by searching back into the annals of history to see if you came through the door in the proper mode. He wants you to look at yourself right now. The proof is in the pudding. God preserves, and we believe this, if you believe in the doctrine of the perseverance of saints, which I wholeheartedly believe, you are more familiar with once saved, always saved, eternally secure. It's really the perseverance of the saints, and it means this, God preserves all that are his so that they preserve to the end and are finally saved. For the writer of Hebrews, as the rest of the New Testament, salvation is given to us in the already and the not yet. You know this, don't you? You're not as saved as you're going to be one day. Now, you can't be more right with God than you are right now. But one of these days when you see him face to face, you'll be without sin. I call that getting saved-er. Right? Think about that for a moment. You, positionally, sonship-wise, if you're righteous, you're righteous in Christ. And therefore, again, that's eternal security. That your, your righteousness is his righteousness. But when, when the writer of Hebrews is thinking about this, he's using conditional statements that are common throughout Scripture to capitalize on the fact that there's the already and the not yet. This is what he's doing. So is there not conditional clauses all through the Bible? Jesus said it like this. You are my disciples if you abide in the word. They're all the way through the scripture. F.F. Bruce says it like this. Continuance in the Christian life is the test of reality. Continuance in the Christian life is the test of reality. In other words, this text, he takes the conditional clause and turns it into an exhortation. And the exhortation is not designed to send you into a tailspin of unbelief. It's designed to strengthen your faith. It's designed to motivate you because you're in the house of God. In other words, there's a major difference in me saying the if and applying that and saying you're not in the faith so that you leave here this morning thinking, well, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not, versus when the if is designed to motivate you, strengthen you, so that you persevere. I don't know why this is the case, but sometimes preachers seek to excel in convincing people that they're not saved. So, hear me. If you're here today and you're not saved, I don't want you going out of here thinking that you are. That would be a position of self-deceit. And that's an eternally dangerous place to be in. Because the Bible tells us that there will be a multitude of, multitude of people on the last day who think they were saved and they were not. The writer to Hebrews has a different goal goal though it doesn't exclude you dealing with your own soul honestly before God this morning but the goal of this we are his house if we hold fast the goal of that is to strengthen you that you hold fast that you're motivated into perseverance and you're able to say this morning I am his house because of the present things going on in my life today that's what he's saying I have no idea what happened to you when you were nine I mean, I was saved when I was nine. I look back on it. You know, that's a long time ago. That's 40-something. Boy, when I say that, I'm like, you know, Natalie and I in the ministry, we used to be the youngest place there, the youngest people there. Everybody said, y'all are so young, and now it's not the case anymore. Bryce, yeah, right now, 22 years old. You won't be that 
One of these days you'll look back and you'll be like, man, I'm 52, 54 years old. I used to be the youngest. Now I'm the oldest, right? Why did I talk about it? I don't know why I talked about that. I guess because I was in the neighborhood. I thought I'd drop by. Oh, yeah, nine years old. Again, think about this. You leave that to the sovereign God who saves. You're never going to work out those details. I mean, the enemy would have, he's, he's an accuser, right? You don't have the ability to scrutinize everything that was real and what was not. But what you can do is examine yourself today. Listen, folks. Examine yourself today. In the book called The Race Set Before Us, the writers make this comment. Hebrews does not call on us to doubt our inheritance of God's sworn promise in order to heed God's urgent warning against falling away and perishing without hope in renewed repentance. God uses warning and consolation and threat and promise together to secure you in the way of salvation. So the if is a means by which we are motivated to do what we're called to do in the house of God. So this morning, if you find yourself moved and determined and motivated to do what it, God says to do in the household of God, then blessed be the Lord. If you find yourself in restraint or resistant, you find yourself hating the exhortation to do what you're called to do by the Lord God, then you should stop and ask yourself the question, am I really in the house? What's your response to the word? Just because your backside is in a pew at FBCO this morning doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Doesn't mean that you're the house of God. All right, here we go. The resolve and the commitment part. You hear this perseverance word? And we are his house if indeed we hold fast. We talked about this last week. It's the idea of perseverance, determination, commitment, endurance. What are we holding fast to? The text tells us our confidence. Last week we talked about the primary word used is boldness. What is it? It's the idea that you entered the house of God through Christ. The boldness we have is we know Jesus Christ paid it all. When the writer of Hebrews uses the word boldness, it has to do with our confidence in the house of God based on who it is that paid the price and the penalty so that we could be in the house of God. In other words, the boldness comes from the access we enjoy through Jesus. That's how we get into the house. So he's going to use this word over and over again, just like he's going to use the word hold fast. And then notice that phrase, boast of hope. Westcott says, the Christian hope is one of courageous exaltation. I like that. The ESV translates this, our boasting in hope. The Christian Standard Bible does a better job in bringing confidence and boasting together by saying this, if we hold on to the courage and confidence of our hope. The idea of hold fast is to be convinced, committed, determined, to, be, to have confidence in our boast of hope. And what is hope? Is that just wistful or wishful thinking? No. Hope in the Bible is confident expectation in the promise of God. It's the content that you're boasting in. It's Christ. It's Jesus. 
That is our, he is our boast. It's the content. Hold fast to what Christ has done. Hold fast to who he is. Don't be ashamed of your hope. Don't be ashamed of your confidence. Let that confidence and hope be that which grips you, guides you, and shapes you. The hope and confidence in Christ, listen, that's your identity as a child of God. That hope, that confidence in Christ. You should be a man or woman, man or woman who holds fast with determination your confidence in Jesus Christ and who courageously expresses that confident expectation. Why? Because he's promised all this to you. And we confidently hold to that. So the writer says you want to know if you're in the house. Well, here it is. If you're holding fast confidence in Jesus Christ and holding fast to the boast of hope, that is a confident expectation that everything that Christ promised you he will do, then you're in the house. You've set your heart, you've set your mind, you set your gaze on Christ. Will the author say something about that eventually? Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. As we run this race, who are we looking at? Back to 3-1. Contemplate Christ. I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Right? You know who your hope is in. You know where your glory is. You boast in it. You exult in it. You remain undeterred by devils or men or trials or circumstances. You don't cast away your confidence in Christ. That's going to come up. You don't drift away. You don't fall into unbelief and abandon Christ. In other words, this is future-oriented stuff. Are y'all listening? It's future-oriented. All that Jesus promised he will fulfill and you will inherit. Are you banking on that? So what is the corollary? You're not his house if you don't hold fast. Definitively truth. Right? You're not his house if you don't hold fast. And the author has deep concern. So he urges that they have everything to gain by standing fast and everything to lose by going away from Christ. Why? Because was it their propensity that the law of Moses surely looked good? Uh, we'll just go back to it. God forbid the law kills. It's wonderful because it points you to Jesus, but it can't save you. Right? And so, the author has deep concern. Like Christians of every age, they were faced with perplexities. You're faced with temptations as the people of God. And they're encouraged not to weaken and retire from the struggle. There's a reminder for all of us to hold fast when you are the house of God. Why? He's been faithful to you. You be faithful to Him. John Calvin says, this passage reminds us that we should always go forward right to the day of death because the whole of life is a race. We are his house if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of, firm, boast of hope firm until the end. Well said. You hold it all the way to the end. So don't, don't neglect the privileges. What, I'm, what am I trying to tell you? Don't neglect the privileges of being the house of God. Don't reject and miss the benefits of what it means to be the people of God. 
Appreciate your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Be committed to one another. Lock arms and join together. Be the household of faith. And as we lock arms, persevere continually with one another holding fast to Jesus. Did y'all know that eternal security is a community project? Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need each other. Eternal security is a community project. That's why church is important. That's why coming together is important. So, don't swerve. Be undeterred. Make sure you remember that God did not just intend for you to get to heaven all by yourself. It's a community project. Preacher, what if I'm not holding fast this morning? My confidence feels weak. My hope is dim. What am, I, what am I supposed to do? Well, I would tell you first, don't go back wasting your time searching and scratching to see if you've entered the house. Start holding fast today. Start holding fast today. Hold fast to the boast of your hope in Jesus. How do you persevere? How are we faithful? Did any of you wake up this morning and the first thought on your mind, I will persevere. I feel like persevering. Holding fast. Well, how do you do it? It's by looking to your faithful high priest. It's by keeping your focus on Jesus. Nothing will engender faithfulness in our hearts like looking to the one who has been totally faithful to us. It's not looking inside of us. It's looking to Christ. Again, remember chapter 3, verse 1. Consider Jesus. Faithful, merciful, High priest. So if you want to be faithful and persevere, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Don't sing the course yet. Listen to this. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. It's hard to do that if you're not with the people of God. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. I love verse 3 because it's got Hebrews all over it. Listen. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all. My hope and stay. And then that final verse, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, in him my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. So, do you feel like persevering today? Holding on, being determined? That hope is only found in Jesus. Hear me clearly. It won't be found in your abilities. It won't be found in what you can muster up within you. This confidence comes from Jesus only. Not in our abilities. Not our fortitude and fight and gut determination within us. It comes from looking unto Jesus. So we, we look to him. Have no hope this morning, no confidence. Here's the remedy. 
Put your hope in Jesus. Think about who he is and what he has done. Such beholding of Christ will transform your life. He'll give you confidence that you are his and he is yours. Amen? We are his house if. We are his house if. Father, help us as your people to hold fast, which is proof that we are in the house. It's evidentiary that you've redeemed our hearts and changed our minds. You've taken out the heart of flesh. Put, you've taken out the heart of stone. Put in a heart of flesh that's pliable. So that we could respond in faith to know you. And Lord God also that we would hold fast to you. Because you are our faithful high priest. Lord help us. To hold fast. Let that be, Lord, what we hear from this sermon. And Lord, as the people of God, the house of God, help us to function with all the privileges and benefits of what it means to be your people. With that covenant relationship that you are ours and we are yours and that we belong to each other as brothers and sisters. We are our brother's keeper. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and make this our prayer today. Change my heart, oh God. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh y'all know that it's one thing to get God's people out of Egypt. It's another thing to get Egypt out of the people. So, next week, Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews, <laughs> may have been Paul, may not, may have been Luke. We, we, we studied all that. Here's the deal. He's going to give a citation. He's going to cite Psalm 95. And he's going to talk about those who hardened their heart. In other words, when they came out of Egypt, they thought that was the end of the deal. But they didn't live for Christ after. With trials. And first trial that came their way, they're, they're belly aching and murmuring. 
They didn't enter in because of unbelief. Serious text of Scripture. Extremely heavy. So if you're scared to death, don't come back next Sunday. No, you need to hear what the Word of God says. So God bless you for being here. So sit down just for a minute, uh, if you will be seated. We, we've been in a process of moving around in our staff because of needs that we've had. And, um, and so that's taken place. We've lost no one, right? But we talked about f- uh, filling uh, a position of youth pastor in the future. And then with the elders and our church leadership, we thought, hey, let's, let's start with an interim. And so today, I want to wel- uh, introduce you to him. Bryce? Bryce Hughes? Victoria Johnson? Well, she's soon to be Hughes, right? You going to put up with him that long? Oh, definitely. Oh, amen. Praise the Lord. So this is Bryce. He is finishing at Baptist Bible College, his four-year degree, and uh, he feels a lifelong call to youth ministry at this point in his life. And so Bryce and Victoria uh, are going to be on board to help us with our youth starting next Sunday night when you approve and vote him in. Right? Uh, So we come to you, seriously. There's been a lot of hours, a lot of time. Uh, He's spoken to our youth, to our parents, and our elder body has discussed, and many people have met with him. And this is the way we feel God is leading us in our church family at this point, right? Here's what I would tell you. we got an awesome opportunity to pour into a young guy and his future bride, right? We're a family. And so we want him to leave this place. It might be soon. It might be 30 years from now, maybe when you die, whatever the Lord does. We want him to leave this place having been able to say, man, what an awesome family of God, right? What an awesome family of God. What did I say? I'm going to die at 50. I don't know. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's not the length of years. It's whether you're on center or not, right? All right? Now, you'll make it longer than that, Lord willing. So we want him to be able to say this is an awesome family of God. And it helped him grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and us. All right? So if you want to meet him, uh, he'll, he'll be here all afternoon. But you can't start seeing him until 2 o'clock. You Chiefs fans love that, right? Yeah, y'all ready to go home. All right. To God be the glory. We do. Why don't you run to the back? And uh, uh, Bruce will show you and Victoria where to stand, and we can let people come by and meet you. All right? Well, God bless you. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. I seriously thought about sending out that thing to everybody and say, hey, we're going to do worship at 1.30 on Sunday. Just to see how many of you folks would have showed up. I wouldn't do that to you. All right. God bless you. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, let's, uh, Jeffrey, would you mind closing us in prayer? If you need to go to the pulpit to get, or get David's mic. And uh, God bless you. I hope no, you, you have a have wonderful this. week. You can go to the pulpit. But, reminder, we don't have, a, we don't have church uh, tonight, right? Amen. Amen. What? I wasn't planning on coming. <laughs> what? Oh, and by the way, Pastor, you don't need to belabor the point about referencing Psalm 95 because they listened to me preach it in September, and I'm sure they know. I really don't know what's going on. (laughs) Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you for inviting us into your house. When we were strangers and prodigals in a foreign land, living and rebelling against you, you brought us back in. And Lord, I would pray for our congregation right now. If there be any 
infighting and sibling rivalry and dissensions. I pray that you would forgive us, expose those things, and may we live as a peaceful house. And I pray that those in the world, in Ozark, in the surrounding areas, would find you to be a good father and would find this to be a wonderful place to be a part of your family. We ask these things with faith and love and gratitude. In Christ's name, amen.